0: Ныне впервые великий князь Московский, Венец царя псия Руси на себя возлагает, и тем навеки многовластию слакозненному, Боярскому, на Руси предел кладет, отныне русской земле единой быть you <laughs>
1: Hello guys, I'm your host Kareem, and I'm Eamon and welcome to today's show and I guess it's welcome back Aim, from his uh, unequilibrium that you had. Thank you, thank you and uh, hope you found yourself during the process.
0: Great to be back, I know I had a good replacement at the time, shout out to Faisal for stepping in.
1: Anyways guys, so for today's episode, I think I did a poll on Instagram. People voted either for, well it was kind of a tie between this and dinosaurs. And to be honest, I kind of decided we haven't really tackled a person from history. So I think it would be a good time but to start. Y- you've it.
0: never tackled a reptile in history.
1: Well, technically, we did tackle the English monarchy. So I guess we did tackle reptiles. Okay. Good point. <laughs> anyway, so for today's episode, I decided to tackle um, a historical figure. And I think a good person to start with is Ivan the Terrible. All right. Have you ever heard of Ivan the Terrible?
0: Yeah, there's a lot of them.
1: There's, I think, there's, I think, five Ivans, if I'm not mistaken. There's, um, the fifth one will be a part of the Romanovs, but the one we're talking about is kind of what some people consider to be the first star of Russia. Yeah. Technically, Ivan is important because a lot of things that we will discover with his life or his reign have really impacted Europe and Russia, and kind of built the modern Russian state in a weird way. Ready to hear his story? Let's hear it, man. To talk about Ivan, we kind of need to talk about his father, the Grand Prince Vasily III, and the world they were born into. So Ivan's family were descended from the Rurik dynasty. Have you ever heard of the name Rurik? Mickey Rorik, yeah. <laughs> Great actor. So the Rurik dynasty, I uh, descended from a Viking leader from the Juntland. Is it spelled the same way? No, no, it's spelled R-U-R-I-K. Okay. They're descended from the joint land who pretty much came to find the first land in Eastern Europe called Kievros. If you remember briefly we discussed it when we talked about the history of Ukraine and Russia, how yeah. we kind of briefly mentioned that Ukraine was technically the start of Russia, and not the other way around. Yeah. So this is where the dynasty starts, right? Kiev. Kievros. Which is Kiev. Yeah. And what would become the monarchy of Russia. Okay. So this is the bloodline in which Ivan the IV Fourth and Vasily the Third would be born into. See, but Russia by the time of their birth was somewhat of a mysterious land to most Western Europe. But it was well acquainted with the Holy Roman Empire since Christianity pretty much spread there up until the conquest of the Mongolians. So the Mongol conquest, which is pretty much a future episode at this point, I think there's a lot to say about Genghis Khan and the way they conquered the world and your favorite name at least, Kublai Khan.
0: Yeah, they were so important during
1: that era. Yeah, so even I think, to be honest, I was trying to talk about the Mongols or their influence on Russia, but to be honest, there's so much to talk about that even I think if we do an episode on the Mongolian Empire, it will have to be divided into parts.
0: Yeah, I think Mongol-Russians are the most descendants outside of Mongolia and the neighboring countries. Yeah, yeah. Like, I think you have a lot of Mongolian-Russian descendants. You're going to see through those, yeah, yeah, the Russia, Russia, asian
1: I just know it's the eastern part of Asia or... Or Russia where like it's you could tell it's just a mix of culture there. Where the caucuses are. Hey baby. The Mongol conquest, um
0: I think it's trying to get to me. Okay, fine. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody. Sorry. you have to sit next to me. <laughs> okay. Fuck you Somebody, I know. I don't want to get is the wires confusing you? Tell me. Don't be worried of the wires. Yes.
1: No, this is recording. I'm not gonna cutting out a single bit of that. Okay.
0: Okay, thank you, Watson.
1: You and your Popeye. <laughs> 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 um <laughs> Is he Russian? <laughs> it's from the same from Mongolia. <laughs> yeah. He had an Eastern Russian look. Lineage. <laughs> <laughs> um, and the pipes and everything. So the Mongol conquest destroyed what unity was left of Russia. Also, then after that, there was a schism, or a Christian schism, if you will, during that land, which also divided the Russian lands even more, which kind of separated Kiev from Russia. I think we even briefly
0: mentioned the. Uh, Islamic part and the Christian part of Russia, right?
1: Uh, Yeah. And we kind of also explained how um, Russia would later on use their religion to kind of uh, build a sense of unity with Ukraine. Yeah, so pretty much, guys, just uh, listen to the first episode. And <laughs> so, as a result of this, Kiev would go one way, and the northern eastern side of Russia would go the other way, and thus the divide would begin to see will happen. You know, what I mean, eventually these cities or civilizations or culture will start losing touch from one another, with Kiev becoming its own empire and Russia under the cities of Vladimir and Moscow. Right? And you have to realize it's just too big of a land for it not to get divided. Yeah, at some point it's gonna. The thing is. Especially like when, it, when there's that divide between the West and the East, you're going kind to of have that, there's going to be a separation. Yeah. There's too many civilizations around them to influence them. And the geog- geographically, they're so different,
0: the West and the East. So you just get different peoples <clears throat> and different cultures.
1: Yeah, so to quote from the book Ivan the Terrible, it is not easy to be precise about the nature of the Mongol influence, for it extended over more than two centuries, and the gold Horde itself went through many changes during that period including a vital conversion to Islam. But the Russian aristocracy did have fairly close contact with the nomads of the steppe, and by a process of osmosis, may have well acquired many habits and adopted assumptions about the objects of state, the nature of government, the relationship between lords and vassals, masters and servants. They are difficult to detect today. So like we mentioned how, over time, as a form of osmosis, what was the Mongolian Empire or around these regions would seep into Russia, what was on the western side from Poland Lithuania would seep into Ukraine eventually okay. creating that divide, right? So there were subsects of <clears throat> Mongolian heritage.
0: Exactly. But one is East Mongolia, one is technically Western East.
1: And the church played an important political role in Russia. It still does today. Uh, it's also the first, the only pan-Russian institution after the Mongolian conquest has split the two lands. The metropolitan of Kiev and all Russia, the original designation um, of the C as, you see, as like, you'll see, was also uh, the head of the Orthodox population, right? So Russia was a part of the Orthodox Church, which is formed from the Greek Orthodoxy, which is also separated from Catholicism. Of course, this was going to play another role in the future. This is the world that Ivan IV would be born into. Ivan III, his grandfather, would eventually succeed in incorporating the neighbor principalities into Moscow and expanding the empire. And this was his greatest achievement, right? He also caused the destruction of the independent republic of Lord Novgorod the Great in 1478, ensuring they, that they accepted the Muscovite rule. And one of the last things to note are the boyars. And this is important for like the future of this episode, is that the boyars can be seen as some form of Russian bourgeois class, the bourgeoisie, or as you today call them, the oligarchs of Russia. Yeah. So it's like a hundred family or so that wielded as much influence on society as any prince. They're usually made up of high ranked members of the army, but with time the roles of the boys would diminish under the Tsar. But ultimately they would still be able to dictate who would inherit the throne, right? Keep that in mind. So, anyway, Ivan the Terrible was born to Vasily III, the son of Ivan III. And Vasily was kind of considered an adequate prince at best. He was kind of between two famous kings. So, he didn't really have much of an influence on Russia. And his history is kind of like he's only known for being Ivan the Terrible's father. Okay. Uh, and maybe one of his biggest accomplishments, too, was that um, Vasily would marry a boyar boy princess called Salomonia. A boy or princess? B- a bourgeois princess. Oh,
0: I thought you said a boy or
1: princess. <laughs> boyar 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 yeah he was pretty much childish for the longest time until ivan the terrible would be born right and mm-hmm. he was born on august 25th 19- 1530 his other brother or ivan's brother yuri would be born on the 30th of october 1532 now vasili the adequate would die unexpectedly on the 4th of february 1533 at the age of 54 from an infected wound as a result of as always a hunting injury that's such a bad nickname Vasily the adequate
0: like yeah like you're just it's so it's so embarrassing
1: (laughs) yeah like (laughs) you only go down and how was he adequate adequate just enough just enough to get through
0: yeah like being evil would be at least more memorable of course
1: him dying at 30 at 1533 ivan being born 1530 meaning that ivan was a three-year-old king at that point he became a three-year-old when he was crowned the king of or the grand prince of muscovy Moscow. Mm-hmm. And of course, Good Go hit South fast because when his father died, mm-hmm. a regency council was made of seven people, all a part of the Boyer Council, who would uh, look after this prince until he was of age to rule, right? Yeah. Elena, uh, the wife of um, Vasily the Adequate at the time, sought quickly to dispose of Vasili's younger brother, also named Yuri. Again, this is going to go throwback to the White Chip episode where pretty much everyone was named Matilda. They have the same name, <laughs> Or Henry. This is going to have a lot of Ivans and Yuris here. She would imprison uh, Vasily's uh, younger brother, Yuri. Yeah. She would try to counter the boyars at every step to ensure that Ivan would be pretty much be in charge, right? Yeah. <clears throat> she would randomly pass away in 1538. Rumor spread that she was poisoned, but there was nothing concrete. So she would leave an eight-year-old boy at the hands of the bourgeois class. Deprived from their mother's protection, the boyars under, Vasily, under Prince Vasily Shusky would dismantle the regency council that was in place for Ivan IV. Mm-hmm. They arrested all the members of, who were mentioned in the will mm-hmm. of Sealy and they would either be shamed or starved to death. Ivan had no one to turn to, and his brother Yuri, beside him, being young and also deaf, had to be more protected, right? Yeah. Ivan would later describe the ill treatment of him and his brother at the hands of the boyar. They would go hungry for days. They would even have to fight or beg for food with each other. He would go later on to say that they forced servants to sleep with the kids, and they also forced the boys to beg from the servants for food and drink and so- water. Weird stuff. I think the Loki wanted him to die, but it's, it's really kind of hard just to kill straight up kill the prince without causing an uproar in the city. Yeah, yeah. Ivan would later recount in a letter that he wrote, The triskis treated us, myself and my brother, as though we were foreigners or the most wretched of menials. What sufferings I endured through the lack of clothing and from hunger. And for in all things my will was not my own. Everything was done contrary to my will, in a manner unbefitting my tender years. And there was a prince, Ivan Vazlapovic Shritsky, sitting on the bench, his elbows on my father's bed, his legs up in a chair, and he did not even incline his head towards us. So you can see from this that he even complained about how they would use his father's bed and they would like lay on it, the rich, the boyars, the rich, and with complete other disrespect to Ivan and his brother. Shritsky would die shortly in 1542 and his cousin Andre would take over and determined to rule under Ivan's name. Ivan at this time had plans. He was 13 years old. It was 1543. And Ivan ordered the first arrest of his life. He arrested Andre. And he even asked for him to be clubbed to death, committing his first murder at the age of 13. Damn. With Andre dead, Ivan was left to control his domain. And he was for the most part adored by his people as well. But it was noted that he would also like to torture animals, rob merchants, and like to flail people with whips while he's riding horses through the city.
0: That was a weird one, huh? Yeah. Weird kid. In uh, 16th of January,
1: 1547, the Grand Prince would be crowned Tsar. The first time ever the title would be used was by Ivan Fourth. IV. Tsar? Tsar. Okay. Crowned himself that. The title has been used tentatively and discreetly in the past. Henceforth, the rulers of Russia would be known as Tsar or the Grand Prince. This is what he called himself. And he was expected to be addressed as Tsar. Of course, the term Tsar, as you know, is descended from the term Caesar. Mm -hmm. He saw himself as the Caesar of the land, right? Okay. What in the past had been called the Grand Prince princely crown has become the Tsar's crown and now what has become the grand prince throne has become the Tsar's throne and Ivan has made the distinction that his father was not the Tsar but the grand prince and that Ivan was the first Tsar and the first Tsar would invoke new absolutism right so a month later Ivan would marry Anastasia Romanov with the blessing with the blessing of uh, Makray? He's, he's the metropolitan of Moscow or you could consider him like the archbishop of Moscow Okay. Uh, he was also Ivan's confidant so the term metro- you're gonna see there's gonna be a lot of term called metropolis of something just know that that's the archbishop of some other okay. other place um, he was a religious act
0: exactly acting religious person
1: so no one really knows why he picked anastasia and of course as you could tell by the name romanova the
0: romanovs are pretty big exactly
1: yeah. she that's that's where the romanovs are descended from so no one really knows why he picked anastasia to be his wife but it turned out to be an excellent choice the marriage was pretty much a uh, the loving one but it was kind of sealed with a very odd ceremony so this is the ceremony of the wedding night okay the bed would be surrounded by ancient symbols of fertility, shit like long life and wealth and contentment. Um, her younger brother Nikita would also sleep next to their bed while they're doing it. <laughs> Mikhail Glinsky, the master of the horse. Boys and, gotta learn. And perhaps the second most powerful dude in Russia would ride the stallion under the window uh, while they were doing it with his sword raised in the air that sounds like a really (laughs)
0: weird uh, (laughs) kink Paul Dano not Paul Dano Paul Thomas Anderson yeah
1: and on the top of the bed hung an icon of nativity there was a picture of the Virgin Mary and the crucifix arrows were also shot in the corner of every room to signify that all the enemies were kept at bay so that was the mating ritual for the first night so all this in the first night (laughs) all this in the first night (laughs) there were horses (laughs) (laughs) and you thought playing smooth jazz would get it done clearly not Guitar he had a plan. no no You know, because like the thing is, like his dad had like kind of a a childless first marriage, right? And these monarchs are very big on like producing an heir as quickly as possible. Whatever needs to be done, you know? So like this is where a lot of superstition comes in, right? You're going to see there's going to be a lot of correlation between him and Henry VIII. Also like a quick, I guess, foreshadowing, if you will. He's going to try to bang one of Henry VIII's daughter. I'm not saying who. Oh, damn. (laughs) Yeah, she's going to reject him though. But still, A A for effort. Okay, so they had a very kinky first night. <laughs> so the Glinskis, from Ivan's family lineage, also taken into the dynasty, or taken into the tsar- sardom, but they were detested by the Boyars, right? And they were accused of being corrupt and for being Lithuanian. And of course, being yes meant to the new Tsar, who had... Uh, Pretty much contempt for the people that he grew up with, right? Mm -hmm. So the summer after his coronation, Moscow would be hit by two major fires, something akin to the fire of Rome, right? Only fitting for Moscow to be called the Third Rome anyways. The fire made its way to the storage of compounder, which of course blew up. 2,000 to 4,000 people would have said to have died during the fire. The reason why the fire started is still up to debate and whether it was like a work of arsonist or maybe just because the whole city was built of wood. uh, Nonetheless, people were arrested, tortured and impaled for it, right? Most of the people in Moscow blamed the fire on ghouls named, oh, here we go with the first butchering. Serdishniki? Serdishniki? Whatever. Serdinsky. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, <a> I <minute. laughs>
0: Serdinsky. How do How do you spell it?
1: S E R D E C H N K I. Serdinsky. Serdinsky? Yeah, There's yeah. no Z. Serdish yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but there's an SKY, no? I didn't say SKY, I said NKI. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot what I forgot the letters. There you go. Okay. So let's just call them ghouls, okay? okay? So the fires were started by ghouls. Shirts. Okay? Shirds. Shirts. Shirts. <laughs> Shirts. Yeah. Surds. Surds. This, the fires were started by ghouls named Sirds. So the Sirds were kind of known in Russian mythology or Russian folklore as to wander around Russia and ripping people's hearts out of their chest. Mm-hmm. So the rumors persisted that these ghouls were a result of witchcraft, of course, right? And who was the main culprit for this witchcraft? Anna Glenskia, Ivan's own grandmother. Damn. So the people accused her of using ghouls to strip the hearts out of dead bodies, soaking them in water and sprinkling it over Moscow, hence causing a fire right Mm -hmm. a riot broke out asking for her head and those involved so most likely her family Mm -hmm. so this left a young 16 year old ivan with a predicament so now you're a 16 year old star of your kingdom right your grandmother has just been accused of witchcraft and there's a riot in the street demanding for her head what will you do it's a tough one it's a predicament but he doesn't seem
0: like he was close with his family anyway
1: it's the idea of being powerless right like Mm -hmm. you're So do you succumb to a mob straight away? You're just like you barely became a king and then you're going to succumb to your mob. How does that look like, right? Prince Yuri, Ivan's uncle from his mom's side, also had arrived to Moscow during that time and was present at the square outside of the cathedral when the crowd was rioting. And when they found him, they stoned him to death. Right away. Right away. They dragged his body through the gates of the cathedral and left him on the right. Because they thought since his mom was a witch, he must be a witch too, right? A wizard. Wizard, you're a wizard. Can
0: men be witches?
1: Yeah, that wizard shit's only in Harry Potter, bro. Gonna have to Google.
0: (laughs) You're a wizard. What was his name? Harry. No, the guy. (laughs) Yuri. You're a wizard, Yuri. (laughs) Does Hagrid save him?
1: No, but he doesn't make
0: it. Can men be witches? No, darling. I certainly wouldn't call you a witch, said my husband. (laughs) You're not thin enough. What's this? Is this bewitched? I don't know. Yeah, okay. Men can be witches. I guess. I
1: guess what you thought like witches was the feminine of the wizard. Yeah, I've never
0: seen in pop culture someone saying
1: a male witch. I, I don't think so too. But I don't really watch witch movies. Yeah, it's never. I've never seen male witch. No. I think wizards are like kind of like Merlin. Like,
0: but has there ever been male? Give me, <laughs> give me a male witch. <laughs>
1: Where were we? Prince Yuri was a witch, right? Wizard, witch, whatever. He was into witch... They accused him of witchcraft. They accused him of... (laughs) (laughs) That's the term. (laughs) Okay, so... They stoned him to death, they dragged him outside of the gates of the cathedral, and they left him on what would become the Red Square, right, for everyone Mm -hmm. to see. And having disposed of him, the crowd turned on the rest of the family and demanding they all met the same fate, right? Mm -hmm. Now, just to add to the rumors, of course, because being accused of witchcraft and setting a city of fire wasn't such a great charge anyway. There's also rumors that she conspired with the Tatars to invade Moscow.
0: Oh, that's bad. Yeah. yeah, you know.
1: So they headed to Ivan's palace and they demanded their head. But he was able to convince them that he wasn't with them and he hadn't even seen them. In actuality, he had found a way for his grandmother to escape to a monastery. The whole, or- oh, the
0: monastery except a witch. Yeah, yeah.
1: I think the monastery was like, okay, you're gonna find that a lot of times in the past they would send people who are like in exile. They just send them to a monastery up north. You know. And they'll just like like an asylum. We 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 I guess they were kind of renounce their sins and become quote unquote nuns okay. and monks. Okay. You know. Um, so the grandma <clears throat> had a
0: happy ending. Yeah.
1: Let's not skip to season two yet. So the whole ordeal pissed off Ivan. Right. He demanded the ringleaders of the riots to be brought to him. Right. Mm-hmm. And he would later write in a famous letter to Prince Khrushchev. More on him later. That the boyars, their bourgeoisies, had deliberately spread rumors that his family started the fire, you know. So it okay, just built so it was that, a Yeah, it was around this time that we would also encounter a priest named Sylvester, a priest recently arrived from Novgorod who was appointed to the Cathedral of the Annunciation at the Kremlin Palace. Mm-hmm. Okay, and he would have a big influence on Ivan, telling him that the fire was more or less a divine punishment but not witchcraft, and that Ivan needed to repent for his sins. Like, think of this dude as kind of like Rasputin, but without the fucking, right? No. Ivan would, for a few years, like, stand in fear interpretation. Like, he would kind of find, like, his own... I guess he'd become uber-religious at the time, right? Mm-hmm. We'll try to be the best star that he could be in front of Sylvester. But unknowingly, Sylvester would plant seeds in Ivans of something more greater and dangerous, right? So let's go to part two. With the Glinsky's family out of the way... Ivan's family out of the way. Everything seemed to be right on track, right? So, Ivan would also have Alexei serve as his advisor, who is also regarded as virtuous, right? So, together with him, Sylvester and Alexei, they would form something called the Chosen Council. And them three would rule over Russia together. A small and rather informal group of advisors also were effectively ruling with them uh, in the name of the Tsar for the following years. And I'll give you the name, like their names, but to be honest, like five of them are called Ivan, and there's like eight people in the group. (laughs) So. Uh, we would just get lost. The main thing is that the council and the Boyar Council would overlap in power. And from time to time, they would go against each other, right? Mm-hmm. Then, as, is, as any tsar that wants to distract its people from bad harvests and some bad economic woes, I even declared war on the city of Kazan. Look, by the way, just so a heads up, if you ever feel at some point in this that you want to play Civ, the feeling is totally understandable because there's going to be so many cities from Civ that show up from here. Mm -hmm. A lot of like annexing Caesareans, like it just made me want to play the game, man. Like Kazan? Yeah, like Kazan. I even declared war on Kazan in an effort to quell raids from the Tatars that were invading him from there, right? And thus marking the first significant battle that Russia would win uh, over his reign. Like, and instead of making the next move on the, on the Tatar Khans, it, they started infighting with one another. So he kind of just sat and lounge. So he pretty much captured Kazan with ease.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: The following year, the Khan of Crimea, <laughs> more on that later, that would become like the biggest focal point for Russia for like, what, the next 500 years? Yeah. Sent an expedition to conquer a city called Azra Khan and thus controlling the land between Kazan and the Caucasus. Uh, he would later write to Ivan, you were young, but now you're a grown-up let me know what you want my affection or bloodshed I'm prepared to march on Moscow and your land will lie under the hoofs of my horses wow. and the seed of a full out war between Crimea and Russia started to brew another confrontation was taking place at that time right so Ivan at that time was confronting the problem he faced domestically and was holding long conferences on reforms and reorganizations of the state so pretty much the state was kind of left in shit and he wanted to find a way to up the economic problems right yeah. and like he would actually listen to a lot of people's ideas and can I tell you a proposed idea by a priest named Erzam because sure. like I want to to hear this and i want you to think what would have happened if he went through with this okay so the priest proposed that all the primacy should be given to peasantry right not the nobility and that the star should be bound to god and not to any earthly interests and since the peasants produced the food and the clothing and were ultimately producing the wealth of the country they should not be taxed or they should be taxed very lightly and the nobles should carry the burden of the taxes from the peasants Uh, the petty nobles who lived in towns needed to make it easier for them to be mobilized for war and the peasants should be able to pay taxes if they want with the gra- with the grain they produced. okay and also peasants who worked for landlords should be exempt from any state obligations and landlords should be able to pay for the peasants taxes on their behalf now this was in the 1500s you can see it's like a proto-socialist idea yeah, yeah. um like, and the thing is, this idea was kind of taken seriously by uh, Ivan at first. And he kind of even considered it at some point. But he would end up taking a stance against corruption of the boyars and the princes. And he cursed them during a speech in front of the Kremlin. And he would ask the people for forgiveness for any corruptions of, of the past from his family. Uh, and there would be a new slate for, uh, where the people would be treated more fairly. Also, the conditions of the military were improved greatly. The armed forces were reorganized. And the system of command altered so that the commanders were appointed based on merit rather than based on virtue of noble birth. Even though he didn't go the whole socialist route, which kind of um, would have taken Russia to a whole different history, I mean, uh, he kind of did try to improve the Russian lives, right? Yeah. The government also introduced extensive self-governance with district administrators elected by the local gentry. Another important ruling uh, was that the priests and deacons would establish schools in their own homes and, and where they would serve as teachers since they were all versed in reading and writing. And the parents would pay whatever they can afford. On October 24th, 1549, Ivan was sent out to Moscow with 60,000 men on a campaign against Kazan. Only to find out en route to Vladimir that the army that reached Kazan, they were kind of close to a civil war. So he kind of halfway there, he saw that the country was pretty much in civil war. Yeah. And the Khan, who was pretty much a child at that time, was very unpopular. Kazan or Crimea? Kazan, Kazan. He went there to reclaim it, put the death knell on it, you know what Cause I mean? Because I thought he already had it. No, no, he beat them in a war. Now he wanted oh, he to go conquer, conquer it. it okay. Some of the army would turn on their own people and join Ivan before he was even able to enter the city, right? As soon as Ivan was about to get there, the ice had melted and pretty much caused, and caused the heavy guns to be bogged down by mud. So the army had to cancel the siege and eventually had, had to go head back to Moscow and waited for the Tatars to come for them, right? In spring 1551, a third expedition took place against Kazan. And this appeared to be far more successful than anyone had expected. Annexing the right bank of the Volga, it freed countless Russians who lived there at the time. They would eventually appoint a new vassal Khan, the Khan Shah Ghali of Kazan. Fearing any other oppositions, he invited all the other Tatar nobles and massacred them all. He killed 70 Khans or 17 nobles, if you will. It seems so far that Ivan was decent. He was, I mean, yeah, besides the massacre. But yeah, he was, for the most part, he's not as... He he wanted to be a good leader. Exactly. So on June 1552, he marched into Kazan for the last time, armed with 150,000 strong men, and they routed out the Crimean Tatars. So at that time, they were fighting the Crimeans at Kazan. uh, With the final siege of the capital commencing on the 30th of August, about 470 years ago today. Uh, the Russians used drum weapons, a battery tower, mines, like tunnel warfare, and 150 cannons. The Russians benefited from military eng- engineers that were coming from England, with, an, with a famous one named uh, Butler, just Butler. The man. Named no, 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 second name. Mm-hmm. Uh, they blocked the water supplies and they breached the walls by October second, right, leaving them to the city. And pretty much, um, the Khan of Kazan at the time was a guy called Idgir Mahmet. And his family were held in captivity here. And this is what you want to talk about, like Ivan. In a very weird act of mercy, he released them from their bondage and set them free. Okay. Moscow had the Volga region under its control. Mm. And this would be the first of many wars and cities conquered by S- Ivan to achieve, in a weird way, um, expansion to the Western part. To, his main goal was to hit the Baltic. He wants a view okay. to the Baltic Sea.
0: Which is every time, every Russian leader's <laughs> dream.
1: <laughs> to hit the Baltic Sea. So after this, we kind of hit a kind of an important and almost a grave moment in Russian history. Russians, of course, would soon take over the Khanat of Astrakhan at, uh, at the mouth of the Volga, right? And they would kind of start aiming south to Crimea and westward to the Baltic, controlling the seas for trade routes, right? Laying the foundations of what would become more modern Russia, right?
0: And it's always over Crimea and that route to the Baltics, yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, f- Footnote, the Khan Yedgar Mahmet would later renounce Islam and convert to Christianity. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would not say what he said, but he just said that he loves and worships Jesus. That's all I'm going to say about that quote. Uh, he said something later, but um, it's kind of blasphemous. Okay? Blasphemous to whom? <laughs> so after his triumphant return from Kazan, and this is important, okay? The dude had to get baptized, the Mehmet. Mehmet yeah. yeah. In late autumn 1552, while they were back in Moscow, they gave him a baptism in the river, right? It was during this time, during the baptism of the Khan, which kind of now looking at it would make a good song title, uh, Ivan fell ill and he was bedridden, right? Some scholars say it would be a form of pneumonia, uh, but it was kind of severe and so severe that it was pretty much Ivan thought he was inches away from death. And he asked the boyars to swear an allegiance to his son at the time, Dimitri, uh, who was no older than six months old at the time.
0: Because he thought he was like That's that. It.
1: He, he thought he was dying and that this would be the end of his reign. This could have been the end of Ivan IV. Mm-hmm. Some did support the, the six-month-year-old uh, Tsar uh, to rule, and they kind of wanted to rule on his behalf. Others were reluctant and the problem is Ivan couldn't pass the Tsardom to his brother because his brother was a deaf and a mute and he was unfit to rule. Oh, damn. Uh, so many people were kind of throwing their hats to Ivan's first cousin more on him later.
0: So there uh, wouldn't have been a lineage. In, been, exactly. Exactly. Yeah.
1: And some even avoided pledging, and like this is actually true. Like, some would avoid pledging because they would complain that they were also getting sick and they wouldn't be able to make the trip to swear an allegiance to his son. So this kind of also fueled the already paranoid king that the boyars are not willing to stand by his side, right? He said, again, to a letter to his cousin, Yesterday you swore allegiance to me and my son Dimitri, but there are boyars who do not wish to see my son on the throne. If God wills that I should pass away, then remember your oath to me and my son. Don't let the boyars use any means to destroy my son, but flee with him to a foreign land. Which will God show you? So it shows that his paranoia that he thought that boyers will eventually kill his kid, right? Yeah, but it explains because the Boyars were always bad to him. They were dicks to him, yeah, from the get. Yeah. Anyway, Ivan recovered, mm-hmm. and thus he decided, as most anyone would do when they recover, he decided to go on a pilgrimage to uh, Kylrof Monastery to ask God, like. I guess for forgiveness, for whatever, in the far north. This is the same one his mom went to when she wanted to be blessed with a child. So he thought in a weird way that it would be kind of like him being reborn, right? Anyways, going against everyone's advice, uh, as Asar would do, he decided to go on the trip anyway with his wife and his six-month-old child, right? And he took the journey. He visited a man named Maxim the Greek, right? Who was jailed up in this monastery during Vasili's time. Uh, why was he jailed up? Because Russian theologians were kind of upset that he told them you translated the Greek to Russian wrong. So they chained him to a wall and left him to starve. Wow. Ivan would later free him and, tell him and send him to the monastery where she would meet with him later. So when Ivan met with him, Maxim told Ivan not to continue on his pilgrimage because he would eventually meet at death. Of course, Ivan didn't really think much about it. And of course, now there's different accounts of what actually happened. When they were riding the boat to go across the lake to the monastery, a nurse, a wet nurse, stumbled with the baby in hand and the baby fell into the river. The child was pulled out of the water, but he was already dead by then. And this also marked a change in Ivan. He just lost his first and only child. He would now go after those who refused to pledge an allegiance to his dead son, arresting, torturing and imprisoning them as a retaliation for this. That's
0: when he started losing it. Yeah. pneumonia and the death of his child.
1: Well, in 1554, not all hope wasn't lost because Anastasia would give birth to another son. Ivan. Uh, more on him later. But now we know that the Tsar was rejoiced that by his son's birth, that he pardoned people from prison, he dispensed donations to the poor, and it was around this time that Ivan also was able to break into the mouth of the Volga region unopposed and pretty much captured the Caspian Sea right and to make uh, and to make sure everything was secured he amended his will to ensure that his son would inherit everything after his son his cousin Vladimir would take uh, take into account
0: so you already put it all in there to avoid he secured any the
1: bloodline in. you know more on that later uh, Russia's trade with the east benefited greatly once he conquered Astrakhan and on the Caspian Sea Russia's trade with the west however was kind of hampered by Poland and Lithuania and this area called Livonia. Uh, potential threat from Sweden as well on the north. Uh, Livonia was pretty much... um
0: What is it? What's Onia? Like, what is what is that? Is The land of?
1: Livonia. Estonia, Livonia. So, Estonia is under Sweden, right? No, no. Not location, like... Uh, what does the term Nonia mean? Yeah, like the last three
0: letters. It must be the land of.
1: Maybe. That could the be... Land the land of Estonia. Because even Russia of ends with I A S I A. Yeah. Estonia. I don't know. Yeah. You want to Google that? Yeah. So Estonia, land of. Livonia. Mm. Of course. Onia means land of. Okay. Good to know. Now, Ivan grew more interested in trading with the western part of Europe by an unexpected arrival of the sea captain named Richard Chancellor, who is looking for a north route to the Indies from the uh, route. Route. <laughs> it's a route route. Yeah. Okay, fine. A northern route (laughs) to to the Indies, uh, free from China and Portugal. So England tried to find a way to go up north to end up going south. only way up is down. There you go. And the only way down is up. Uh, Because, you know, the Spanish and Portuguese were heavy taxed. Like, they would tax the fuck out of you if you traveled near them, right? England, for the most part, was kind of trailing behind Spain and Portugal when it came to conquering new lands during that time, the 1500s. And they would also face a very, like, a big import-export crisis, right? Yeah. Henry VIII pretty much couldn't give a shit about the expedition but when his young son ascended to the throne uh, the 13 year old boy gave his blessing to go to north south because I mean what would a 13 year old boy know about geography I guess yeah. um, England ended up somehow in Russia <laughs> so
0: <laughs> they ended up in Russia like a Monty Python scale
1: yeah they thought, they called the Russians mm-hmm. Indians and thus started the whole <laughs> yeah, England, so when America so when America so when England was greeted by the Russians, they they sent them to Ivan to be hosted, right? And Ivan lavished them with like fancy meals and everything, right? But of course, typical British standard, uh, they concluded that the Russians were an ignorant people, you know, despite being very similar in their own ways. The only difference was that England was becoming a constitutional monarchy and there was a rise of a merchant class. While Russia was kind of still stuck on a few and then feudal noble system, right?
0: Okay, so like we're advanced, yeah. yeah exactly.
1: But Russia and England kind of found kind of spares because England, like I said, had an import export crisis and Russia needed manufactured goods. England needed to export, Russia needed to import. Um, king Edward II passed, his sister would take over and she would marry the King of Philip of Spain, but that would kind of like kind of deterred their relationship a bit. So main thing is that Ivan's aim was clear. He wanted an access to the West through the Baltic Sea, right? There was a problem. The cities of Ivangrod and Navra was kind of controlled by Livonia. And the benefits to be drawn from the northern route was not assessed yet. So this is the only viable trade route for Russia to go through. And the problem is the Polish and the Lithuanian Commonwealth also needed an outlet to the Baltic Sea because they wanted to secure trade between Europe and the Far East. So they also wanted the sea as well, right? In addition to all that, Russia also felt that most of the land in Ukraine, which formed the part of the Kiev Rus, and tell me where you heard this one before, belonged to the house of the Rurik, which means it belonged to Moscow, since it came from the same family lineage. Some things never change, huh? Nope. nope. In Ivan's mind, it was his dynastic right to conquer Kiev and to rule it. So in November 1557, Russia would, Russian troops would assemble on the Russo-Livonian frontier. And by January 1558, they crossed the border. This would start Ivan's longest war to date, and also it would be the war that would be like the thorn to his side, right? The countryside was plundered, ravaged uh, by the Russian troops, and by May 1558, the port town of Narvas surrendered to the Russians, right? October, they would control about 20 fortresses and towns in eastern Livonia, and pretty much changing the trade route of the Baltic overnight. So pretty much... Russia controlled the Baltics. Uh, Prices of Western imports in Russia fell. The new Grand Master of Livonia tried to sell his country to the Polish people, but they kind of, um, well, his noble class wanted to sell their country to Denmark to control. Mm -hmm. Uh, Russia would continue its operations till the summer of 1560, which resulted in the complete collapse of the order that ruled Livonia, right? Uh, Lithuania then mobilized as a result, and Sweden also started to mobilize. You can see there's going to be a war between everyone's everyone's prepping everyone's prepping by 1562 livonia was split into four parts right russia holding the east sweden holding the north denmark and poland holding the southwest Uh, all of whom were comparatively strong opponents and all of
0: but livonia didn't seem like a big land as well huh no
1: it's but it's an important land
0: yeah it was like imagine that small land divided up right yeah
1: so this is where we are in the world stage right uh let's put a pause here
0: we interrupt our program to bring you this important message Americans, stand up and be counted in the fight against communism. You as a private citizen can strike back at communism. Where? In Eastern Europe, where 80 million people still bravely resist communist brainwashing. How? Through Radio Free Europe. RFE's daily broadcasts reach these 80 millions, keeping alive their belief in the free world. Give to Radio Free Europe Fund, Box 1963, Mount Vernon, New York. Uh hurt myself today to see if I can feel one
1: one two two three three you four, the four. Remix. Okay, so the second part we could call this the turning point or the schism. Well I don't know if it's the second part, but well, the second part of Ivan's life, right? The second part of the podcast. Yeah, second part of the podcast. After a short mini break. So while all this was happening on the Western Front, Ivan himself was engaged in a bitter feud with his advisors over the complications of the war, right? By 1560, he would be hit by another blow, right? Moscow would be hit with a series of fires. In July... What caused the fires? That's the thing. No one really knows, right? In July 1560, the Tsar had removed Anastasia from the city to to his palace, while he stayed to extinguish the fire. On August of that year, while Russia was in the midst of a war, 3,000 Crimeans raided Moscow. But the shock and the smoke of the fires were too much and Anastasia would fall sick and pass away. On August 7th, 1560, at the age of 29. Yeah, I
0: mean, he he loved her, it seemed.
1: Yeah, a lot of people did the public at large. Ivan was also told to be heartbroken wailing and groaning and barely able to walk when she passed away but the reasons for her death were pretty unknown at the time i mean it's either down to one or two things right she was either exhausted because she like she gave birth to six children most of whom would die by the way And number two she there was a rumor that she was poisoned by mercury
0: no i think the other one makes sense especially if it's uh the boyers failed births no like
1: oh the fact that she died from uh many miscarriages Uh, it wasn't miscarriages i mean kids were be born and then they would die a year, year or two later. Okay, okay. Only two survived. It wasn't, during, it, survive it wasn't from, during the birth. No, no. Uh on the 14th of August, the boyars would meet with Ivan and beg him to stop grieving, right? Yeah. And to move on. The reason why they told him to move on because there was rumors that he was pretty much carrying orgies in his house to deal with the death of his wife. That's one way to go about it. Yep. So it would make sense for them to ask him to move on and to marry. Uh so the idea was for him to marry a foreign princess, right? Realistically, to advance his prospects in Livonia, he, would, he was supposed to end up marrying maybe someone from Poland, Lithuania, Sweden, you know, to like tie with one of the factions that split up Livonia between them. Yep. He would end up marrying a Carician pagan princess uh, named Kushni. She would later be rechristened as Maria. Uh, and it was kind of seen as a very unpopular choice. But nonetheless, he was smitten by her beauty and he couldn't resist but to marry her. She was considered a Turkic from the Turkic people, so Russians looked down on the fact that you got someone from Asia Minor, if you will. Okay, okay. So he went
0: for not the
1: popular bureaucratic. No, no, yet. not a European noble woman, you know, or whatever. Gotcha. At that time, Ivan would also start turning on his uh, on two of his advisors. The one we mentioned, Alexi. <laughs> Alexi. Alexei and Sylvester who formed the chosen council if you remember yeah he would blame them for Anastasia's death because he said that they forbade him from making his pilgrimage during the fire that caused her death because he wasn't able to make a tribute to God another thing would he would accuse them because you can't just back then you can't just have one accusation gotta be multiple exactly they they used magic on her and thus slowly we begin to see why Ivan get the name the terrible
0: it's crazy how sorcery was such a big deal then, yeah. Exactly.
1: It kind of like when I was reading this, it kind of made me... And like the, the superstition of the time Salem
0: is, witch trials wasn't so far off from that period to
1: 1600s was it i think yeah was, so like maybe short of 100 years from here
0: this is 1660 no? this is 1560s 1560s okay sorry yeah. but
1: this was during the height of the w- witchcraft witchcraft inquisition that was happening you know yeah, yeah. i think around the world yeah. i think around 40 years later it would move to england a
0: worldwide phenomenon
1: phenomenon yeah as punishment Alexei would be sent to felon which is in some sort of semi-exile mm-hmm. uh, in late September a council convened to try Sylvester and Alexei on trumped up charges right so they would uh, so they would be charged Alexei would be imprisoned and he would later be poisoned by December no one really knows if it was by suicide or he was forced to ingest poison. Sylvester was sent to a monastery and he would die later on. For good measure, Alexei's brother would be also executed. Another member of the chosen council named Jim Dimitri would be murdered as well. Uh, historians tend to see this as the divide line between Ivan's reign. So Ivan's reign is usually split into two parts.
0: So this is kind of when he did his heel turn.
1: In a weird way, yeah, that's his heel turn. Uh, Ivan blamed his cruelty. Because up until then, he seemed like he did things f- with the intentions
0: of being a superpower and the people and that...
1: Exactly, um, but now he just went like apeshit.
0: I wonder if he did like a drug binge with his orgies and all that stuff.
1: Like what drugs would be? Would they be taking orgies. the fifteen hundred? <laughs> What's the password? Orgy.
0: What is the password?
1: Orgy. You may enter.
0: Um, uh, I don't know. Maybe. maybe. You know, some
1: lean. <laughs> some, 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 some hash.
0: Yeah, some addies.
1: Um, so, Ivan blamed his cruelty. So, back to the story. Ivan blamed his cruelties on Anastasia's death, right? He would later say in the correspondence with his cousin, and I quoted this because I need you to hear this, If only you had not taken her from me he would write, vaguely accusing the Chosen Council. There will be no more sacrifices to Kronos.
0: Wow. So he probably was like, when he lost his first love, he waged war on everyone. Yeah,
1: but it's such an interesting choice of words. There will be no sacrifices to Kronos. It's almost
0: like emotep.
1: Yeah, in a very weird way. And you know the story of Kronos, him swallowing his children, yeah, yeah. the titan. So he would end up dismantling the Chosen Council. Uh, Ivan would pretty much cannibalized all the power that was around him and brought it onto himself. By May 1563, almost no one had any influence over the Tsar, and he would surround himself with sycophants and flunkies who would pretty much just be yes-men, right? At that time, Russia was bleeding dry financially, especially since he was always spending money fending up from the Tatars, as we mentioned, who kept pillaging his places around southern Russia. By 1563, the church and the Duma had both uh, broken up with Ivan over this conduct, right? They kind of started like, yo, enough is enough. They kind of were upset with his wars and also more so with his domestic policies, right? Especially when he lost two of the most important battles to Lithuania. The recent wave of executions and repressions had also confused and demoralized his army. And in Lithuania, a lot of the nobilities who were Russian kind of defected to Lithuania, right? And Lithuania, of course, accepted them with open arms. This led to so many people from his side to go to the side, especially as we mentioned Kerbysky, his cousin. Kerbysky was a Russian political figure, a military leader, a political philosopher, and also was a very close friend to Ivan, besides being his cousin, right? He's the one who Ivan would send a quote to Cronus about on April 30th. Because he felt that Ivan had betrayed him by not renewing his commission. He would later get into a war of words with Ivan. And he would accuse the Tsar of being murdering his best generals of witch hunting, torching his own people with pincers and nails. Ivan would reply back with a 28,000-word rebuttal about uh, defending his actions. 28,000 oh, words. The guy had time. Yeah, man. Like You know, these whole notes... At least, are,
0: at least he goes all in with it.
1: These whole notes are 9,000 words, okay? That's 18 pages. So just put that into... Uh, consideration. Three, yeah. By late September 1564, Kabritsky was the commander of the advance guards on behalf of the Lithuanian army. He launched an attack and recaptured the city of Plutsk. Uh, meanwhile, back home, Ivan was also facing dissidents domestically and decided on November 16, 1564 to abdicate from the throne Wow! in favor of his son while he was secretly conferring with his advisors on how to enforce his dictatorship. So in in front of people, he just said, I'm done, I'm done. So he wanted
0: his kids to be puppet leaders.
1: Yeah, and uh, so on December, Ivan left Moscow. And he would later send word to his people that because of the wrath incurred by the leaders of the church, the boyars, and the civil officials, right, um, their treason and treatment of him since he was a child, he would mention that up again, and he said that he was not coming back.
0: He never got over the whole boyar stuff. No,
1: he didn't. He never will, right? And he stated that he wasn't mad at his people. He was just mad at the corrupt officials who were running the country. I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed. Exactly. But this, of course, inflamed the people, right? Because the people were like upset. These bourgeois class of people were upsetting the Tsar, who was supposed to be the protector of Russia, christened by God, you know? So
0: they kind of liked him still.
1: They did like him. and Wasn't there dissidents and everything? And plus, keep in mind, like, as today, there's a big mistrust about from the peasants to the boyars, right? Like how today there's also mistrust to the upper class. So his
0: thing made the people like him back and hate the boyars again. Even
1: more, you know? So there was a rumblings of unrest at that time. Back to what you are saying. So meanwhile, the common people were anxious not to lose the protection of the star and, and fearing that if the star decided to bounce, Uh, they will be given up to the corrupted boyars, you know? They beg the metropolitan. So as we said, the metropolitan is the archbishop, right? Of the church. So they would petition uh, for the Tsar to come back by quoting not to leave the country and deliver them to the wolves like unhappy sheep with no shepherd and to protect them from the strong. They would be the first to demand the destruction of the traitors and the evildoers, you know? One has to think if he did this on purpose. Just to get favor?
0: Yeah, like I'm going to leave and it was all one big ploy knowing that the people call him back. You know, it's like a
1: political stunt, you know. It's kind of like Caesar refusing the the crown. So then, yeah. So he comes and be like, "I didn't want to lead, but but I'm, you guys, were going to, to
0: do it anyway."
1: Again. So of course, Ivan Fain resolved not to return. In a meandering accusation, he recalled a new, like he recalled again the turmoil of his childhood, the humiliation that he was subjected to. And the threat of his birthright to the boy regime, he said that I had a kid named Dimitri that they did not want to pledge an allegiance to. Why would I come back? Some of these boyers, he pointed out, were still around. And he also, again, he brought up the fact that they poisoned his wife, right? Uh, Over the next four weeks, the terms of his reassumption to the throne was negotiated on behalf of the people. And the decree that emerged uh, openly transformed him into a new tyrant, right? So he demanded to have absolute power of life and property of any disobedient subjects, right? So anyone who was disobedient, he had the absolute right to do what he wanted with them, right? Yeah. Without the advice of any council or church. And the people probably wanted that too. Exactly. This is where it gets weird, okay? So he wanted his own separate court and administration, that from top to bottom with his own hand-picked personnel, Adi, right? And a part of Muscovy, Moscow, would be carved out for his own special jurisdiction, so he wanted a piece of the city to be his own city. No one's allowed to come in from the boyars. No one's allowed to go out. This is his rule.
0: Just his thing.
1: Complete control. If you want to make a comparison of it, think of King Leopold, what the Belgians did with Congo, how they gave him Congo. And they're like, here, this whole country is yours for the taking. Do what you will. You. Uh, while the rest of the country remained under the former administration that was or the council, if you will, Ivan presided over that city alone and he would eventually preside over everything else and to finance the new bureaucracy he required an indemnity uh from the state of one hundred thousand roubles, rubles which was a lot of money back then you know and ivan's new them, uh, if you will it was called the zeminshkia or the new land that was the land that would be controlled by the boyars right ivan's court and his territory that he ruled with absolute power would, co- would be called the oprishnika so oprishnika used to be called the widow's portion it's a widow's okay. portion of a palace that's where the widow... Would
0: it sounds like, you know, like, yeah, uh, yeah. unless you're butchering it.
1: <laughs> no, no, it's called a Prishnia okay. or Prishnika. Okay. Uh, obviously, um, he took the over the most productive and economical developed areas of Moscow and took it for himself. Of course, yeah. And of course, he took the most well-established commercial towns, markets, trade routes. Um, though necessarily it wasn't the most agriculturally productive, but it became a state within a state. Yeah, I got you. To staff his new court and administration, uh, he needed to enforce the land. Right. Ivan assembled something that would kind of consider as state police, his own secret police, if you will. It's almost like Hitler's SS, the KGB.
0: He went full dictator full <laughs> after dictator. that whole thing. Huh?
1: These these people were called the Oprichniki. So the Oprichniki donned a black uniform. They displayed enigmatic and morbid insignias. So, for example, they'd have a dog, a skull of a dog, on their horses, and they would walk around with a broom Weird. and a weapon hand. So, of course, the idea was that first they barked. And they bit their enemies, and then they would sweep them out of the land. So that's the metaphor. Yeah, such a weird, (laughs) such a yeah. But imagine like these black-robed people riding horses with like a dog skull on it. Of course, they would. They regarded themselves as a new form of religious sect with their own rights and custom. Uh, There was no social contracts between them and the rest of the population, just for them to be completely loyal to the Tsar. No one else. Uh, Even for you to join, you have to pledge yourself to the Tsar.
0: It's It's like, let me do a trial run and see how full dictator will work in this area, and then probably I'll implement it everywhere else.
1: Exactly. And yo, man, the dude went like, he used them to full extent. Like, an example, they once broke into a house of one of the boyars while his wife was in labor. They forced the woman out into the snow and forced her to give birth in the snow. They killed any peasants who tried to assist during the birth process. It
0: was just like he waged wars on the boyars and he was
1: just like... Exactly. And it's interesting because, like, I'll bring up how, what the Soviet Union thought of him. When Because the Soviet Union did extensive research on, uh, or they did examinations on Ivan. I'm um, sure they loved him, but so, we'll, get, we'll get to that. Yeah. Here. So he kicked the rich out of their lands. And so, and this is where it gets weird, right? So there were some rich people he kicked out, and then he would just give their lands over to the peasants. And he's like, here, take it. This is yours. Okay which is like on paper, it's a fucking great thing he did, you know. But this doesn't mean that he was completely cool with peasants, right? Their play wasn't even getting better at the time. So there was also increased numbers of executions that followed during the introductions of the preshniki, which kind of led to a collective protest from the boyars and the princes, right? So now, since nearly all the documents relating to this period of time were destroyed in one of Moscow's fires, historians tend to give differing explanations to why Ivan's actions were like what happened to Ivan during this period of his reign. The majority tend to view the struggle was between the star and the old hereditary nobility. Mm -hmm. Uh, There was a lot of jealous, of surrendering of power, privileges that he wanted, their control of the military. So, of course, the Prishnika or the Prishniki were thus at Ivan's attempt to create a highly centralized state and to destroy the economic strength and the political strength of the princes and the high nobility around them, right? Yeah. This is like the reason. He's like, listen, I could, you want to play ball? I'll play ball, you know? Uh, But the reign of terror that Ivan initiated proved far more dangerous to the stability of the country than the danger that it was designed to suppress. So these guys,
0: they couldn't match his energy pretty much of craziness.
1: Like, he went crazy, man. But then again, like, there were moments in time where, just to give you a brief moment of lucidity, he created something called the National Assembly or the Zemiski Sober to confirm the support of his objectives to war. But the assembly, like, it was un- almost unprecedented, right? It was diverse. They were kind of there to vote on war issues and whatnot. Of course, they kind so of...
0: I feel like it's almost like it's a, it's a, he had good ideas, but he was so overwhelmed with revenge and anger that he never... yeah. Right, I feel like that's what it was like. I feel like had he not been tortured by the boys and his wife's deaths, he probably would have done some good social reforms. Yeah,
1: that's true. But of course, kind of went south when they told him that they want to abolish the secret police. Mm. Um, He kind of like kind of went back on his word with them. So discontent in Russia was now evidently rampant. The atrocities uh, Ivan had on the autocracy and the service gentry after the Manifestation in July 1566 were compounded by continuing turbulences in the countryside provoked by their activities, right? There were constant changes of landowners. Uh, The Prishniki started hoarding lands for themselves. So they would kick out landowners and then they would take the lands for themselves. So they grew rich, Mm -hmm. filthy rich. It's hard to imagine the impact of the sizable migration of landowners, but a lot of people were kicked out of Moscow and they would end up moving to Lithuania and Poland, right? And also we get to see that like the next several months would be full of tortures, imprisonments, mutilations. Uh, they executed most of the petitioners who petitioned against the war. This brings us to another part of the segment I want to talk about. So what was Ivan's day-to-day life within the state, within the state, right? He kind of developed the state to become more of something of a monastery with the way it operated. So, for example, everyone within that part of the town that he controlled had to wake up at three o'clock in the morning. Wow. Yeah, they all went for prayer until dawn. During the service, Ivan used to lead the prayer. He would sing, he would read, he would pray. Sometimes with such fervor that he would bruise his brow by beating his head to the ground while praying. Uh, occasionally, he would confer with his advisors. Often, um, like he would dictate what, who would be executed today. And then he would go back to mass and he would like spew more biblical verses and all that. That would end at 8, okay? At 10 p.m., people would gather again for another prayer. Uh, they would have a meal. Then Ivan would stand and read occasionally about the lives of saints, and then um, whatever leftover food they had since the meal would be distributed to the marketplace and to the poor. And the remainder of the afternoon, Ivan spent dealing with this, with the affairs of the state and in the company of his favorite uh, people. They would go hunt before evening, and then at night he would he would descend into the dungeons to observe the acts of torture. On an on an occasion, apparently um, there were friars you know, uh, priests, Um, seven of them uh, who were kind of rebelling. So he took them to a high-walled amphitheater and he furnished them with spears. He gave each one a spear and he led each one out into the amphitheater where they would each have to face seven bears. <laughs> and that was their punishment. He literally lost it, man. So imagine seven priests with a spear versus seven bears. It's almost like every
0: dictator, though, right? You always hear the same. They started off good and they went crazy. They they, yeah. Every yeah. dictator.
1: You think it's the corruption of power, like that whole uh, power corrupt. Yeah, what
0: was it? Uh,
1: Abses... Uh, Absolutely. Power corrupts absolutely. and absolute absolutely. power corrupts. Absolutely. absolutely. Yeah, exactly. This brings us to a famous metropolitan or, or an archbishop, as we said, named Philip, right? Uh-huh. He admonished Ivan. Yeah. And when Ivan went to him to carry forgiveness, he refused to bless Ivan. So Ivan would come into the cathedral dressed in black robes with his Aprishniki, And he would go to the bishop and ask to be blessed. And the bishop would refuse again. So Ivan replied to the bishop, right? He's like, in the past, I was humble before you. Now you shall come to know me, who I am. And on the following day, he began to execute members of the bishop's staff. Wow. In mid-June, the Uprishnika launched a punitive campaign against the Kalamana estate. And the guardsmen set fire to the villages and to the churches and amused themselves by stripping women and girls naked and compelling them to go catch chicken in the fields.
0: Pure wacky now.
1: Yeah, pure wacky. Uh, the tsar himself went to one of the holdings near Tivar. mm mm-hmm. And he killed the whole retainer of slaves and uh, he filled the, the hut full of gunpowder and he would put people inside and they would set the, the hut on fire, which would react with the gunpowder exploding. Just, yeah. He pretty much just scared the fuck out of the Duma, the parliament, and they agreed to try Philip on corruption and sorcery. Of course, because like, once you get arrested in Russia...
0: Yeah, so you automatically it's, you, like, it's like you stole make sure you add sorcery in yeah. there you killed make sure you add sorcery in there you
1: get automatic sorcery charge yeah that's just <laughs> there Yeah, and of course sorcery so a sentence was passed against him in his absence of course in November 7th right the Tsar wanted him to be burnt on a stake as a heretic but the cr- clergy is successfully united in pleading for his life of course so now Ivan couldn't burn him on a stake he had to find another way to humiliate this priest right mm-hmm. he, they stripped him of all his clothes they made him wear a sack and they dragged him out of the cathedral and threw him onto a sled, and they told him to go from monastery to monastery. That's embarrassing. He would, cho- he, for the next several days, he would go from monastery to monastery further away from the city until he reached a dungeon where they locked him up, far, far away from the clergy. Okay. Another person that was executed by Ivan was Ivan Fedorov, right? Who spread the rumor that he wanted to be the next star. Or no, he didn't spread the rumor. But there was a rumor spread that he wanted to be the next star. I guess his name is Ivan. I think he's related also to Ivan, a distant cousin, mm. I think. So sometime in September 1568, Ivan summoned Ivan. <laughs> in, um, in one of the weirdest moments in his reign, Ivan ordered Fedorov to wear Ivan's clothes. He's like, here, wear my garments as a star, mm-hmm. And forced him to sit on the, on the throne, right? Where the grand prince sits. And the tyrant now stood before him and he bared his head and knelt before Adarov. And he said to him, Now you, now you have what you've always sought for and strove to obtain, to be the grand prince of Moscow and to occupy my place. And then he added, since I have the power to seat you here, I can also have the power to unseat you. And grasping a knife, he plunged it several times into Ivan's heart. Oh. So he killed the person on his throne. And also all the soldiers that were present were also given daggers to stab Ivan Fedorov. And then they dragged him around the Kremlin and around the city of Moscow by his heels and they left him in the middle of the square with his servant. And then later on, because like for good measure, they took all his retainers and servants and drowned them all into the river. Don't, what's it called? Don't don't have aspirations to be king, I guess. And, yeah, don't have the same name as the leader. <laughs> in a further series of raids by the Oprishniki, they, they raided uh, Fedorov's estate. Ivan would go and take all his cattle, oxen's, uh horses. The wives and the children of the men who have been killed, tried. The wives of the peasants were stripped naked and driven like beasts into the forest where they would be cut into pieces. On September 6th, 1569, Ivan's second wife, Maria, died of poison, which again really- Poison eff- again, huh? Which kind of really affected Ivan, right? He reacted badly to her death by refortifying his palace. To Ivan, there was a conspiracy concocted by the palace cook, his palace cook, who had gone to the city of Novgorod to buy some salmon for the palace. Uh, So they would torture the cook until he confessed that the prince of Novgorod paid him to poison the fish. Prince would be condemned to drink a cup of the poison that he fed, that he apparently gave to the cook, or supposedly gave to the cook. His entire family would be cut down by the Oprishniki, and an assassin was sent up north to strangle the prince of Novgorod's mother. The cook, his two sons, the fishermen who caught the fish, the vendor who sold the fish, and I'm assuming maybe the mother of the salmon at this point were all executed. Went all, out the- <laughs> all out. In two months, and in two months' time, Ivan will go commit the most infamous atrocity of his whole reign. The reasoning behind it is kind of unknown, but the facts are this. There was a rumor that the city of Novograd had contacted Poland in order to overthrow Ivan, right? Mm. And Ivan would take his trusted followers and head out to the city. On January 2nd, 1570, Ivan came within the site of Novograd. An advanced detachment had completely condoned off the city with roadblocks and watchtowers, right? while brigades charged through the suburbs slaughtering local militias and armed retainer landowners and kept their estates. All the treasuries of the neighboring monasteries were impounded and 500 clerics, abbots, elders, and deacons were rounded up and placed under guard. Over the next several days, they were regularly subjected to taxes, the clergy's, of 20 rubles each. On January 6th, Ivan would order his uh, troops to massacre all the monks who hadn't paid their taxes. On Sunday the eighth he made his dreaded entry into the city of novgorod okay some four, 400 prominent citizens warriors courtiers appits officials, and merchants were all holded off to be tried the method of investigation was torture ivan kind of built kind of a hillside down the river where he would tie people break their bones and then throw them into the river into the icy river Damn. this was january 6th in the river in, Ma- in russia in the freezing water the Prishniki were armed with pikes and axes, and they moved about in boats, so they, would, so they would be on boats, right? And whoever survived the drowning would be hacked by the Prishnikis. Okay. Others were hanged, some were beheaded, others were impaled, and most were thrown off cliffs and mountaintops. Uh, the massacre continued for five weeks and ended with the great general pillage of the city. The city was pillaged down. Many of the Prishniki found their fortunes in that night, Right. Uh, all of them became rich. Um, the scale of Ivan's atrocity has been subject to many debates. No one really knows how much, uh, how many people died, but it was estimated that no less than six thousand people. He just lost it on. Them. He just killed him. The Archbishop Pyman was wearing a gold embroidered robe. He was in the city, right? Mm-hmm. Pretty much like he had a gold, He had a golden crucifix around his neck as well. And enraged by how rich he looked, Ivan ordered the Uprishniki to remove all his clothes. then he made the bishop stand in his underwear. And he said to him, you have no right to be an archbishop. You would be better if you were dressed up like a clown and I'll find the wife for you. Now, you have to keep this in mind. An archbishop is supposed to be chaste. You know what I mean? A celibate so the fact that he's like I'll find a you wife, for, wife you, for you means you're pretty much not a bishop anymore yeah uh, Ivan wasn't even finished there
0: he was so erratic huh? Like, yeah. he was like 2110 in the end of the no office.
1: no I read it for it to get more like messed up so he told his a to go look for a wife for the bishop they came back with a white horse a white mare and it became clear that the archbishop was supposed to get married to the white horse
0: didn't, didn't Caligula do something like that
1: almost but Caligula just said that my senate, make, I'll make a horse a senator mm. um the Tsar would say to the archbishop, this is your wife. Saddle her, mount her, and ride off to Moscow. So the Prishniki would tie the archbishop's legs to the horse. They made him wear like a, a clan costume, like a justice costume. And in a weird moment of like, I guess what he found to be amusing, Ivan gave him a, a musical instrument, like a guitar, a lyre, and told him, since you have nothing else to do and you have a wife, here's something to play with. Play for her. Mm. And he let him go. <laughs> so you could see how messed up this was getting, right? Yeah, wacky stuff, yeah. So, of course, at this time, Ivan's next attention was the war in Crimea, right? Yep. Something that um, will not change with Russia. Exactly. <laughs> in May 1571, 120 strong, uh, 120,000 strong Crimeans and Turkish soldiers uh, tried to make their way into Russia, right? The... Um, So the Russians tried to meet them with 6,000 men, but they were crushed by the Crimeans. Not having the forces to stop the invasions, the Russian army retreated into Moscow. And the Russian population also fled to the capital. So the Crimeans won back. The Crimean army devastated all the unprotected towns and villages around Moscow. And they even set fire to the suburbs of the capital. During a strong wind, the fire quickly expanded into Moscow, right? So there's another fire in Moscow. Within three hours, Moscow was burned down completely. In one more day, the Crimean army... They really won uh, that battle, yeah. Yeah, they staged it with a pillage. You see, I'm telling you, this is a lot of civilization references, man. (laughs) 150,000 Russians were taken captives by the Crimeans, which is a huge number, by the way. Yeah, sorry. So a lot of contemporaries counted that about 80,000 people had died from the result of this invasion. Other people say it's about 100,000, but the number is not really sure, right? After the burning of Moscow, the Khan of the Crimean army was supported by the Ottoman Empire, of course, right? He invaded Russia again in 1572. And the combined forces of the Tatars and the Turks, however, this time were repelled in something called the Battle of Molody. In July, August, uh, the army was defeated by the Russians. And the aftermath of this war, and the thing is, so the results of the, of the war with the Crimeans and the results of this war showed that the Aprishniki were kind of bad at war. So in a weird and kind of like underhanded way, uh, Ivan would kind of dismantle the Prishnika. I think that's Tony, right? And meanwhile, during this time too, his executions kind of calmed down, uh, despite his paranoia not, okay? His paranoia did not subside. On January 1575, many Russian prisoners returned home from Crimea, and Ivan interrogated them all. He wanted to know whether they had been treacherous, And who had betrayed them in the ranks of the Russian armies. And then, of course, later in that spring, he would get rid of his fourth wife, Anna, because he thought she was a witch. He thought most of the soldiers coming back from Crimea could have been affected by black magic. And for good measure, he also executed her relatives. So... He's still paranoid. So he still had
0: a few marriages since then, huh?
1: Yeah, yeah. He had seven, I think. He would be, con- be compared a lot to Henry VIII. Okay. Fun fact, and I don't think I mentioned it here because I didn't think it was important. Maybe people would disagree. He would try to hook up with Queen Elizabeth I, by the way. Damn, she was just uh, shot. within his paranoia he always wondered if he would get kicked out of the country he said that he wanted to seek asylum in england and if she ever wanted to run away from her country she could come seek asylum get some of that Tudor blood <laughs> <laughs> yeah anyways uh during that time also ivan was growing sick of was growing uh, weary of life right mm. they called it the foul stinking dog with bark and bite but the vigor was going out of him right he had no philosophy of life, no plans except to survive and to secure the survival of his dynasty. He had no military police except what extended his frontier in Livonia. He was exhausted as well. You know, his apparently um, people would say that he was kind of, They compared him to a sail that was just drifting into the tide. So, in an unexpected move, and this is where gets a bit weird. He, until now, historians don't really have an explanation why it happened. Ivan would step down from the throne and give his uh, reign to a Tatar Khan. Oh, wow. Yeah. And all the rights of the Grand Prince. So, didn't. he was the betrayer. Yeah. And he would be simply known, like Ivan would be simply known as Prince Ivan of Moscow. Uh, despite, by the way, he didn't give the Tatar Khan the name Tsar. He said you'd be the Grand Prince of Moscow.
0: Because Tsar is uh, yeah, a this hereditary. is,
1: Yeah. This is something beyond you, you know. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. And a lot of people don't understand it. Until now, no one really knows how he came up with it. He lived the life of a boyar. He even moved out of the palace. And he lived in like some suburb, if you will. He just
0: retired, huh? Almost
1: just retired, yeah. And perhaps, so some people estimate that perhaps or assume or like try to figure out that maybe he was burdened by being Tsar. So he kind of stepped down and live a normal life. Others say that he just wanted to test the people of Russia and to see who really wanted him, who didn't.
0: Or Unless it was a midlife crisis kind of thing.
1: Another source says there was a soothsayer that warned him that if he stayed in, as a grand prince for this year, he would die by the end okay. of the year. That'll so awesome. maybe he's like you know what i'll make this dude con- uh the grand prince um, so that he could die exactly so the tartar Khan, who will be later branded as simon
0: tartar Khan. such sounds like a tartar Khan. mortal kombat <laughs> character
1: yeah uh his name was simon just so you can see how like unepic it is was in charge of the whole um was in charge of moscow but Ivan still pretty much gave out orders. He controlled a lot of states. He just avoided their responsibility by not being labeled as like the Grand Prince anymore, right? Yeah. On July 18, 1572, the King of Poland, and it was also the Grand Prince of Lithuania, passed away, the last of his dynasty. So there was a conversation between the Commonwealth. So the Commonwealth consisted of Poland, Lithuania. They were, con- they were considered... the polish lithuanian commonwealth they had a problem of who would succeed as the king of uh, poland and the grand prince of lithuania since the only legitimate person to rule was princess and you know how patriarchy was back then so each one kind of like each monarchy i guess at that time kind of threw in their um hat on who should run so for example france tried to push their son to rule the holy roman empire would also try to push their son to rule Ivan would throw in his name to control uh, Lithuania. In doing so, he would control all of Livonia and Kiev. Again, his obsession with Kiev. It never ends with Russia, right? Uh, He wasn't concerned with Poland. He just wanted to be the Grand Prince of Lithuania. And he even made a deal with the Holy Roman Empire that their son, Emperor Maximilian, would be the king of Poland. And they would divide the country between both. Ultimately, the choice fell to a certain somebody named Stefan... Bathory. Oh, damn. The Grand Prince of Transylvania. Now, I know you want to make the voice. (laughs) Uh, When was Elizabeth Bathory? I think she came after him. Okay. And thus, marrying the king of, uh, the dead king of Poland's sister. He Mm. became the king of Poland. So, he became King Stefan Bathory of Poland and the Grand Prince of Transylvania. On September of that year, Ivan told Simon to uh, pretty much leave and he became sorry again. (laughs) I'm back. And I'm back. <laughs> yeah, I'm done. Uh, you know what, man? It is a good run. And rewarded Simon for his service by giving a governorship of the city of Tver, and,
0: and Simon was a cool?
1: Yeah, he was cool. He was given the governorship of a I'm city. I'm
0: sure Simon knew that, okay, this is temporary.
1: Yeah. And he just faded to obscurity, right? Now, King Stephen or King Mm. Stefan would eventually signal a turning point for Ivan's career or Ivan's reign. And he would change the course of European history for good. He was three years Ivan's junior, right? By all accounts, he was a lot more smart. He was a very well-educated man, considered a Renaissance man, if you will. Or he devoted his whole life to the Transylvanian independence movement, Mm. which I kind of wrote. I'm like, that would be a cool band name. The Transylvanian independence movement. Some like spook rock band. Yeah horror punk, uh, where he would be imprisoned for three years by the Holy Roman Empire until he would emerge as the Turkish candidate for the Transylvanian throne, eventually winning in the civil war. So his loyalty was to uh, Turkey, the Turkish people. He was considered a Hungarian commoner at best, but he would become the ruler of a vast territory in Eastern Europe, right? And surprisingly enough, man, and if that wasn't surprising enough that like a commoner would become a grand prince his people loved him man you know and the thing is when he became even king of poland he didn't even learn the language he didn't even learn polish but poland the yeah. polish people loved him
0: king Paul who doesn't speak the language yeah
1: but he was loved by his people he was more than they're just their king he was more of their conscience right yeah, yeah like for example when he would go to war with them he would sleep in his tent on a bed made of straws and heaps of dry leaves he would not have his own bed
0: ah so he was like one with the people exactly
1: And he would always walk around with the works of Caesar. He would study the history of the Polish people. He would study the history of their lands. He would study every war they got into. He would study the patterns of every enemy that has attacked Poland and also what lands were in dispute and why they were in dispute. And this included Russia.
0: Mm -hmm. I'm very consistent. I'm a very stable genius. As you know, I'm
1: And it would pay off, man. So in 1579, Poland had recaptured the city of Polotsk. And they were preparing to go into Russia itself. They made it all the way to the Russian border, right? And Ivan went into a panic. And... um,
0: It was like that guy was the good guy to fight
1: him. He found like the match, you know what I mean? Like the face to his heel, right? So Ivan was thrown into a panic, right? As the king of Poland, Stefan demanded the cities of Puskov, Puskov, Novgorod, and Somnus to come back to him. Mm -hmm. Solomnesk, sorry. He would refuse Ivan, but nonetheless, Novgorod would fall a year later. And and in an initial back and forth, Ivan offered to also secede the whole of Livonia, except for four towns. Bathory insisted on taking Narva, and plus a war indemnity of 400,000 gold crowns. Narva would be taken over by the Swedish and thus, a treaty would be in place by fifteen eighty two Russia pretty much lost all its territory in the Baltic Sea. Wow, but this would kind of start the tail end of Ivan's reign, right I guess part whatever part this is let's say let's call this Saturn devours his son, okay mm-hmm. in fifteen eighty one with battery closing in on Russia. Ivan's son Ivan <laughs> and his inner circle approached the Tsar to to provide him with an army right uh the Tsar in his paranoia state of mind. Uh, kind of got upset with his son and assumed that his son wanted uh, to take over and that the inner circle was there to uh, abdicate the throne from Ivan. Mm -hmm. Um, But Ivan's son assured him that he just wanted to go defend the city from Stefan and that he would rather die honorably on the battlefield to defend Russia. Ivan didn't see it that way and they kind of left on heated terms. On November 14th, Ivan was walking down the hall when he saw his pregnant daughter-in-law wearing unconventionally light clothing. Uh, She was kind of in her undergarments, if you will. Uh, He said that this was no way for Sarista to, or Sarina. To dress? To dress, and he started beating her, physically assaulting her. Hearing her screams, Ivan's son rushed into his wife's defense and angrily shouted at his father, you sent my first wife to a convent for no reason, you did the same to my second, and now you strike my third. Causing the death of the son that she holds in her womb. Yelena his wife would eventually suffer a miscarriage from the beating. Mm-hmm. Ivan's son went to confront his father again right after the moment and only, have to, only to have the topic changed to his insubordination regarding the army. Mm-hmm. Uh, the elder Ivan accused his son of inciting rebellion. And when the younger Ivan denied, he was struck in the head with his father's scepter. Wow. Blood poured out of him while Ivan fell to the floor. His father would throw himself on the floor after him and grabbed his son. And embracing him and weeping, he shouted out, I have killed my son. Shit. His son would be bedridden for five days before he passed away at the age of 27.
0: Damn, Ivan.
1: Ivan had another brother or like had another son. Son was a bit, he was mentally unfit to rule. Mm-hmm. His name was Fyodor. So his only fit son passed, passed away. away. Ivan would remain grief stricken and became more reclusive. He would end up sleeping on floors. He effectively killed off his whole bloodline, as we said, right? Mm-hmm. Ivan would spend the remaining of his whole reign dressed in black. He even stopped wearing his crown jewels. Uh, he didn't even want to wear the crown anymore. He would be in the company of people and he would randomly burst into tears, even with foreign em- emissaries. He would just break into mm-hmm. tears. He would later sit down and compile a list of all the people he had killed and urge the priest to pray for all the souls that he had taken. And he also wanted the, n- the whole total number of his sins to be tallied. Uh, he would also give his wealth away to 200 monasteries. A treaty was written on January 1582. A ten-year truce between Russia and Poland. He was done. Ivan relinquished all of Livonia, Estonia, would would become part of Sweden. And his next focus, and maybe perhaps his last hurrah, he went and conquered Siberia. Sorry, he would conquer Siberia in February of 18 sorry 1583. Mm-hmm. Uh, but by then, Ivan, who was 53 years old, appeared to be riddled with disease. He was getting weaker. He did not really care. Mm-hmm. He would occasionally faint and he would suffer from a stroke, right? Yeah. He would eventually recover soon enough just to name his son as heir. Which son? Fyodor, the, uh, the, the, the mentally okay. incapable one, yeah. Ivan would die from a stroke while playing chess with Bogdan Bulski on the 28th of March, 1584. He slumped over a chess board. Upon Ivan's death, Russian uh, the Russian throne was left to his son Theodore. His son would die childless in 1598, and this would usher something that we've called the times of trouble. Uh, the time of troubles would be a bunch of infightings in Russia, which would eventually lead to the rise of Tsar Michael I of the Romanov family, hence kicking off the Romanov bloodline. Mm-hmm. The Romanov bloodline we would see would contain uh, staples of history such as Peter the Great. Uh, Catherine the Great, and of course Tsar Nicholas.
0: Peak Russia times.
1: Yeah, and then you'd have it, Tsar Nicholas, who would eventually get ousted during the October mm-hmm. Revolution, and would usher in the Soviet Union. Yeah. This is what got me thinking about this: how if he didn't kill his son, um, probably wouldn't happen. Exactly. Like that, yeah. Would there have been a Soviet Union? True, because no Tsar Nicholas, no no Revolution. Romanovs. Yeah. Um, so Ivan was also considered a reformer. So he reformed the Orthodox Church. He was considered a patron of the arts. He encouraged a new form of Russian art to flourish. Mm -hmm. He Also, one of his biggest impacts was the colonization of Siberia. Siberia would help to turn Russia's economy over in the later centuries because Siberia is full of natural resources such as oil, gas, wood, timber, coal. I think, if I'm not mistaken, nickel. Uh, It produces most of the world's nickel is uh, produced in Siberia. So it would eventually make Russia a global powerhouse, right? Yeah. He tried to expand Russian territory into Western Europe. And his whole idea of kiev Rus belonging to him would spark up a whole theory on...
0: Russian identity with Kiev. Exactly.
1: Um, Another thing also that would um, come from, uh, I guess, Tsar Ivan would be the idea of absolute power. The Prishniki, as we said, would kind of form the basis of the secret police that the Romanovs would establish, that the KGB would have, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Uh, Or I guess the NKVD, which would later become the KGB. Um, You can see the beginning of the secret police. This is something that has been... un In Russian culture? Not even Russian culture. Do you know any time there was a secret police prior to this? I'm sure
0: there was, but like...
1: But not, but like... Probably really good secret. Who have their whole allegiance to... The it's kind of like Hitler's SS, you know what I mean? Like their allegiance is to one man. Um, I'm sure, there was, but like not not as ma- mainstream, not as like as yeah. The Prisniki were kind of mainstream, right? Um, another thing is, of course, his attack on so when Stalin would come to kind of revise or revive ivan the terrible he kind of had an admiration for him because he saw what ivan did to the boyar class something akin to justify what he was doing with his purges right The bourgeois, yeah. yeah it's interesting because like that's the kind of like the duality of ivan like there are some things yeah he did get rid of a lot of corrupted officials and uh, rich uh, bourgeois people but at the same time he was kind of a pretty savage dude you know what i mean His wars and schemes bankrupted Russia. It weakened Russia. It kind of set Russia back from evolving compared to the rest of Europe, which is something that Russia had had a problem with up until the Soviet Union. It was always lacking behind in technology. Uh, Ivan would introduce the printing press to Russia. You know what I mean? So you can see this duality.
0: Like a tale of two characters. Exactly. Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde kind of thing.
1: And also, like we said, um, a lot of things that he would, the territories he would conquer would establish modern Russia. It would be built on by Peter the Great, but the foundations were there from Ivan the Terrible. Mm. Uh, So this is the reason why I chose to pick on him. Uh, I think he's an interesting... Pick on him. Well, dissect him, tell you his story, because I think he's an interesting figure. I think in his own way, we never think of Ivan the Terrible. I mean, the name would come across us, you know what I mean? But I don't think we understand how much his... uh, his impact was right. Yeah. So, what do you think of Ivan the Terrible? What's your takeaway? It was
0: pretty terrible. <laughs> no, I really think um, I think he was a crazy. He was probably schizo, man. Because like, it seemed like he had moments of pro- proper intelligence and knows what he was doing,
1: but his paranoia. And then he would
0: just go apeshit crazy and then kill everyone and witch sorcery. So, like, he was a pioneer, but he was a madman and a vicious man and a terrible person too.
1: That's true, yeah.
0: So it's uh, interesting to see such a duality of. It just shows, no matter how intelligent you could be, if your power goes unrestrained, you sometimes you could become a monster. So I think that's what happens when you have probably a super intelligent guy with unrestrained power.
1: Um, another thing too about Ivan is that, so there's a famous painting of Ivan holding his dead son. And this is how I know Ivan the Terrible before even researching this. Like this is one of the things I knew about him. Uh, also that there's a famous Russian movie from the Soviet time by Sergei Einstein called Ivan the Terrible Part 1. I don't know. I don't think Part 2 was ever made. But yeah, but um, the fa- the painting is famous because it shows Ivan holding his son in his hands. And if you stare into his eyes in the painting, it has the most like maddening look you'll ever yeah, see in yeah, the painting. I look at
0: it. He looks very sickly.
1: Very sickly. But look, he looks like he's full of regret. But at the same time, uh, he just realized what he did.
0: Yeah, yeah, and his eyes are just like,
1: like, like, what did, I, there, yeah, yeah, he's like, what did I do? You know, yeah. I just killed my family tree. For sure,
0: yeah, yeah, it was very remorseful. Yeah,
1: it's one of my favorite paintings that I've seen, and this is why, kind of like Loki, I've ever since I saw that painting. or this is why I picked him to go first. A candidates coming up, but this was the first one because I saw that painting, and like, mm-hmm. I kind of want to cover him. Yeah, so this was Ivan, the terrible story, a madman a reformer in his own way, but he was still a savage, cruel human being, uh, idolized by tyrants, right? And yeah, and this was tonight's episode, Ames. So I guess um, you have any last words?
0: No, man. I think you covered it there. He created Russia's...
1: The modern Russia.
0: Expanding expansion mentality into those regions. He put that thought into their minds. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've been the terrible, man.
1: Thank you for listening to today's episode. Please follow us on our Instagram uh, at the convo underscore BTWE. On our Facebook, A Conversation Before the World Ends. Twitter at the convo underscore BTWE. Well, if there is Twitter by the end of the week, we'll see how that goes. Listen to us on all your favorite podcast platforms, Spotify, Apple, Deezer, Amazon, Google Podcasts. We're all there. Uh, not stitcher yeah and for next week since it's almost world cup i think it would be timely to take a to tackle a world cup issue Aim, what do you say about that
0: makes sense man makes sense
1: all right so till then have a good night guys and see you next week take care There's only one word to describe what's happening, and that is panic.